Hello, and welcome to the New York Beef Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Rodriguez, registered dietitian nutritionist. The New York Beef Banter Podcast was created by the New York Beef Council as a way to connect consumers with beef industry experts to give you a spot at the fence post to a candid and transparent conversation about beef and what it takes to put it on your plate. Hey, everybody, I have just one question for you. Are you ready to banter? We are with Erin Perkins of Easton Station Farms in Greenwich, New York, and Evelyn and Claudia Lubner, better known as New York Farm Girls. So obviously today we are talking all things beef and dairy, the joy that they bring to our tables, their role in New York agriculture, And of course, what are the differences between these two very similar, but also different industries? Everyone, thanks for spending some time with me today. I have to kick it off because beef and dairy are two of my favorite foods. Don't tell the other foods, but it's just the way it is. Um, What are some of your favorite beef and dairy pairings? Tough question, right? I'll kick it off. I mean, I'm a, I'm a straight up cheeseburger kind of a gal, and then I'll follow it up with ice cream if the night is a good one. But what else are we really into? I really, I really like tacos. So you yes. know, with sour cream and cheese on it, those are that's just like my favorite all time food. Super happy. What about you, Evelyn? I recently have been obsessed with Philly cheesesteaks and they make really good ones where I'm from. So I love that. Um, Like the steak and the cheese together. So good. Are you maybe implying that New York could possibly have a better Philly cheesesteak than Pennsylvania? Is that, I think that it's possible, right? I think it is possible. (laughs) Erin, how about you and your family? What's your like a go-to beef and dairy pairing if you have to narrow it down to one? I think you guys just named like the trifecta. I mean, everything (laughs) from burgers, like cheese belongs on everything. So if I'm making a ziti like with meatballs, it has extra cheese on it. So I mean, there's, they just go hand in hand in my book. They do. I'll throw one more out there. I don't know if you all have gone over to beefitswhatsfordinner.com lately, but there are some desserts that also feature beef. So there are like beef jerky cookies, and there are these amazing brownies made with ground beef. So one of those topped with a scoop of vanilla ice cream, maybe a little whipped cream. What? I feel like that's another very happy and overlooked pairing. Awesome. So you all work with animals that are obviously very, very similar in a lot of ways, but there are some differences in how you all are raising these animals for dairy or for beef. So I guess like my biggest question, I have, I have a lot of them, but since we're talking about food, I want to know how each of you feed your cattle and like, what are the similarities and what are the differences? And Erin, I'll kick it off with you. How do you feed them? Sure. So we are a cow-calf beef operation. So um, our cows have their calves in the spring. After they have their calves, they graze green grass from May, basically right through October. Um, We do a lot of rotational grazing. We don't have a lot of acreage here. So every three, four days, we're moving them from pasture to pasture. Um, And we do that as long as the grass is growing. And then once late fall, so October-ish or so hits, 
Um, we have also made hay during the summer. So they're getting baleage, which are those big marshmallow wet wrapped bales of hay. Um, along with corn silage, we don't grow our own corn. So we just travel a couple miles down the road and we feed corn silage um, to the cows throughout the winter. And that just gives them the energy that they need to withstand the cold temperatures um, and just keeps them maintaining their weight until they can be back on green grass. I love that bit about getting silage from down the road, right? I hear so many stories about how uh, ranchers, and maybe this is true in dairy as well, how you really like utilize that local community of agriculture. And it's another great way that people don't know that cattle really reduce food waste in a lot of ways, which is, which is super cool. Claudia and Evelyn, so what's it like, what's the difference? How do you all feed dairy cattle? Yeah, this is actually a great question for Claudia because she is actually part of, we grow all of our feed in-house. So she is the one that harvests it and um, plants it along with the other people on the crop side. So she can tell you Yeah, more about so that. we plant all of our um, corn in the spring and then we're able to harvest it by the fall time. So then um, we have enough feed for the whole year for all of our cows. And then our hay is the same thing. So we have our haylage all in-house and then we cut all of our hay like four times a year. So then that's all in-house too. Um, and then we also grow other grains. Um, we do get some of our feed. Yeah, we have in. some cool like byproducts that we add. So like the feed overall is called TMR, total mix ration. And it's just a mix of everything. So like every bite that the cow takes, it's like the perfect nutritional value and a cool byproduct that we use is chocolate and it helps um, increase the energy in their feet. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. The cows at every meal get to have some chocolate. I mean, I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, that sounds like one, that sounds like a pretty nice life there, right? Chocolate at every meal. I'm also wondering, so Claudia, I'm hearing you're obviously like, I know you tend to the animals too, right? Not just, mm -hmm. not just to the crops. And, and I follow you both on social media. Like it's, it seems like you probably don't ever need to like go to a gym or do any like planned <laughs> exercise. Cause I don't think, do you all stop moving all day? Well, I started going <laughs> to the gym in the winter because Evelyn does a lot more outdoor work than I do. Okay. But kind of the seasons in the spring and the summer and the fall are a little, like they're just like I nonstop. I don't but. think Claudia would have time to go to the gym in the spring. Yeah. That's what I'm <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not sounding like a lot of pockets of time, but it also just, I get the impression from this conversation so far and following you all that, um, the movement just kind of doesn't, doesn't stop. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. But is it is awesome. different because like another thing, I mean, beef cows are grazing all day, but we feed our calves, like or all of our cows in the morning and they have that feed the whole day, and then we feed them again, we have to push their feet up. Yeah, it's definitely like a lot of tending to the cattle all day long. So in some ways it sounds during, it, it sounds like it's a little more labor intensive in that feeding part, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. that, that makes sense. Um, what makes what makes a dairy cow like more suited to produce milk and a beef cow more suited to produce beef? Because I think a lot of people just think like, oh, it's a, um, you know, it all comes from one, all comes from one breed. So I know there's different breed differences, but like, what are some of those top line differences? And I, I'll throw this out to anyone who would like to kick it off. I mean, definitely the, the cows are like bred to do what they're supposed to do. 
So like, for example, Holstein's, the black and white ones, they produce a ton of milk. And the biggest like difference you're going to see in the cow is how they look. Like people look at a dairy cow and they're like, oh my God, that thing looks so skinny. But really they're just comparing it to a beef cow. And I'm like, no, like dairy cows naturally, you can like see part of their ribs and like that. And like, they're not like as fat as a beef cow is. It's funny you say that. We went to a, a cattle show here the it was held at our local fairgrounds and my boys are like, mom, those dairy cows are so skinny. And I said, well, that's how they're supposed to look. Like, like you said, like the beef cow is just so big and round and thick. And, and even when we clip our cows, it's like, you think of a table on their back. Like you just want their back to be flat. Whereas the beef, the dairy cow, you're building up that top line. And so. Yep. We want those guys to be big and juicy, Aaron. Right. Cause I know right. <laughs> we, we know it's coming, but so if you were, to, maybe this might sound like a dumb question, but if you were to milk a beef cow, like would there, what would the differences in that milk be as compared to the milk you get, like say from a Holstein, like would it be different nutritionally? Would it have a different taste or is it just something that's not really done for human consumption? I mean, the mama cow is making that milk for her baby. So she's raising that calf with the milk that she is making from converting the grass to beef and milk. So she's never gonna produce as much as one of your black and white dairy cows for sure. That um, I think it's just more genetics that that's, she's bred to be making muscle and in turn beef. Yeah, like with a dairy cow, she'll make enough for her baby and then more, like a lot more. So we use that extra that she makes to sell for consumption. Like, has anyone done a side-by-side -side taste test locally? I think that would be, I think that would be really, I think that would be really interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to put that out there into the universe on my to-do list in the next year when I get to go back out, when I get to go back out to the farm. So I guess like another, another big difference is like Aaron on your operation, uh, can you explain like what a cow calf means and what that means for the mama and her calf? Like how long they're together and all that stuff? Sure, so we, it depends on the operation and on the farm, but we uh, breed our cows to calve at three years old. So um, they're exposed to a bull, they get pregnant, they have their calf around three years old. Um, at that time, she raises her calf until the calf is approximately six months of age. So we calve April, March, April time. Um, so in the fall, we wean those calves, um, which means that the calf is first, um, we use a, a nose flap so the calf can stay with its mom um, to kind of just cease that, um, the, the time that it's uh, actually nursing. And then after that bond has, broken, we separate them with a fence and the calves continue to grow and they're fed uh, hay and grain and continue to grow as their own animal on their own. And it, that the cow had already been exposed to the bull again. Um, so she's bred back and she's ready to have a calf um, that following spring. And then the process just uh, repeats itself. Yeah, how, how is it a little bit different in dairy? Um, yeah, so we have all of our cows, um, after they have a baby, they 
are, they don't stay with the mother so that we bring them right down to the greenhouse. Like, what have you been doing? Like, yeah, we let them lick them off first and then we bring them to the greenhouse just because our barns are not suitable for like a little calf. And we've had some really sad times where, I mean, dairy cows are just naturally clumsy and we've had them step on their babies and just not good things come out of leaving them with the calf for yeah, too long. And dairy cows don't really have that motherly instinct like as a beef cow would. Like if you look at a beef cow with their baby, they're very protective over them. If half the time when you go into the barn after a dairy cow has their baby, they aren't even looking at it or they're eating or they're doing Yeah, they're else. always like eating. They don't even care. They're just like, I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just get them right down to the calf barn after they're licked off. Um, if it's the winter time, we put them in this really warm room for them to dry off. And then we just take care of them from there. The mother just goes back into the milking herd and we take care of the baby. She gets fed um, twice a day, pasteurized milk from the cows in our herd. So it's not like she's getting anything artificial, which there's nothing wrong with using milk replacer, but that's just what works for us. And we take care of her. She's got warm straw. She gets a blanket in the winter. So they're definitely spoiled. Um, and we have our reasonings why we take away from the baby if you want us to go into that more yeah well what I think kind of like the vibe I'm getting is in a lot of instances it would be dangerous for that calf to stay near his or her mother because he or she could get stepped on and be cold and yeah <laughs> sounds like that sounds like the mom isn't like that mother figure just because she had the calf yeah. um but yeah I would love to hear a little bit more about that for sure like that caring process. We're really big about building their immunity up really fast because I don't know if it's the same way with beef calves, but um, our calves are born with very little immunity. And sometimes the mom won't get their milk to them right away. Sometimes they won't produce enough quality colostrum. So we make sure within the first couple hours of being born, we make sure they get that milk, the colostrum. And also the germs that the cows have in the barn, the big barns, like the little calves can't handle. So we bring them down to the greenhouse where it's a much more sterile environment where they're not exposed to those germs that the big cows have. And I, I don't know a ton about this, but it sounds like that would probably cut down on the need to use different medications and things, right? Yeah, for sure. If you can get them that colostrum and a quality colostrum within the first we try to do it within the first hour. It can make their immunity so good, then you don't have to worry about them getting sick in the future. We always say that first couple hours of birth can set them up for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I, be I believe it. I mean, as a, as a dietitian and in our industry for human nutrition, there's a, obviously like a big push for humans to do the same, right? As we call it liquid gold and to get that going as soon as you can and make sure that's a part. So we've highlighted some of these big similarities and big differences. I want to know what are the biggest challenges that you face from consumers and how do you go about there and get out there and, and educate and like, is it happening everywhere? Does it just happen on social? I'm, I'm curious, like the different avenues you take. Erin, I want to start with the beef side. What are some of the like big top line concerns that you hear? I just think the amount of misinformation that's out there around the use of antibiotics, the use of hormones, 
um, a consumer goes to the grocery store, they're looking at a pound of beef and there might be six or seven different label claims on there. And folks don't know, like they're just looking, they're, they're, they saw an article on Google or an article on Facebook about um, what some of these different claims mean. And the fact of the matter is, is like some of those don't even hold true. So um, we're constantly, I mean, on our Facebook page, um, if we have to treat an animal, like we explain why, like we're not gonna have an animal be sick um, I treat it as I would my child and um, we follow strict withhold times. Um, there's strict inspections that go on throughout the industry. Um, so it's just trying to, to keep that in front of the consumer. And I think the amount of uh, local producers, I think they're really starting to, to turn to that and realize that like, nobody's gonna advocate for me. Like I have to do it. And it may not, that's the hardest part is like trying to get local farmers and ranchers to tell their story. But um, it seems like there's more and more of that coming about, which I think is really great. Yeah, Claudia and Evelyn, obviously you have a really big platform and I know that you're obviously out there tackling misinformation as it comes, right? I think you're you're trying to like get, get, ahead, of, get ahead of the curve there. And as Erin mentioned, like, yeah, there's some of us out there who are advocating, but like you have to get out there and do it yourself. So what's your advice to other, uh, to others in the dairy industry? Like, why is it so important to get out there and do what you do? Well, I think like a lot of people are just so scared and so nervous about, you know, what the public is going to come at them for, or maybe even what other farmers will come at them for, because, you know, other people in the same industry aren't that nice either sometimes. You know, it's not always going to be supportive people with you. Um, but I think like just sharing your raw like story of who you are and why you're doing what you do. And, you know, we're doing this job every day anyway. So you might as well kind of inform people what you're doing and why it's the right thing to do. And kind of just like combat all of these mistruths that are coming in from people that have never even stepped foot on a farm or, you know, saw an article, like you said. So when you're actually showing the world what you're doing every day and um, you know best about what your, how your animals are treated, you know, not everyone else telling you. Yeah, that. it's definitely scary at first, but I think once you get in the groove of it, like showing your face, talking on the video, and you see like how much support you get and all the people are like, like even like we don't do a video for a couple of days, people are like, oh, I miss the cow videos. Like I want to see the cows. And we're <laughs> like, I guess we, we don't think people care as much. Yeah, so it's very like inspiring to hear like that what we're doing is paying off. So I think just like start, push yourself out of your comfort zone. It's not going to be fun at first. Like I didn't like it at first, but once you like put your face on the camera and you start doing that, people can start relating to you. And that's when you grow your platform. Yep. And you'll definitely start to build confidence and you won't retake that story 20 times like we used to do. And yeah. you'll just post whatever because like the raw content is what people really want to see. So. Yeah. And, and that was, that was my next question because I hear sometimes pushback of like, oh, I don't have time or it feels like this, or it feels like that. So do you feel like as it sounds like as time has gone by, not that you're putting out lower quality content because your content is very high quality, but do you feel like it's just coming quicker and taking up less time to produce because you're just in that groove? Yeah. And I feel like we're extremely dedicated now like even more than we were in the beginning just because we've seen the impact that we've had on the industry 
and like even if it's like negative 20 degrees i will take my gloves off and record a video because it's so important to me yeah i i actually i heard about you two from someone in florida and i live in new york so like the reach is the reach is obviously really, really far. Um, how can, how do you feel that like the beef and dairy industries can collaborate to increase consumer confidence? Do you think there are avenues that we collectively can explore to bolster both industries? Yeah, I definitely think if the beef industry, I mean, I've seen it a lot, but I want to keep pushing that, like how beef cows look compared to dairy cows. I want them to like relate more to our industry so that people aren't getting confused and like only seeing the beef side and like, okay, that's how cows should be looking. And then they come to us and like, wow, your cows look unhealthy. Like that's a huge thing for me when comparing the beef and the dairy industry is that's a comment we get a lot. Like your cows look unhealthy because I feel like a lot of the stock images on even Google are always beef cows out in a pasture because those are the pretty pictures and the green grass sure. and stuff. Sure. So a lot of people think of when they think of cows, that's what they think they're supposed to look like. Aaron, what do you what do you think? How can we all get on the same page and elevate both of these industries? That's a tough one. I mean, I, I know we all share the agriculture umbrella. So like, I think that um, we just should naturally work together. And I think that that's something that we just need to put our heads together on. I, I can't think of any one specific example, um, but I think it's it's just something that needs to happen. I think where we can start is probably encourage the consumption of things like lasagna, tacos with sour cream, burgers only being cheeseburgers. I'm dead serious about that. It's not a burger if it doesn't have cheese. Yeah, um, yeah I think I think there are always I think there are always avenues there, and the, the two things just go together. And while I'm, you know, of course, talking up cheeseburgers, and I'm definitely that all foods fit kind of frame of mind as a dietitian. I want to know from all of you, um, I'm, I'm a MBA top of the class graduate. I do some collaborations in dairy as well. I'm very passionate as a New Yorker about these two industries. And I think we, you know, not everyone knows that New York is more than, it's more than New York City and the Statue of Liberty and that dairy is our number one agricultural commodity. And of course, beef is important here too, because of just like where we're positioned, right? Like, this is the, we're in like the, the hub of all of the big cities here on the Eastern seaboard. So why should other New York dietitians like me be advocating for, for dairy as part of their overall balanced diet? Like, why should we be out there doing that? Well, I definitely think there's a lot of health misinformation about dairy. So I love when dietitians like you go into like the facts about it, where it's not bad for you and like everything, just have it in moderation and it can actually be great for you. And like the whole thing of having milk after a workout, I think is huge. Like I started doing that the last year and it's so much more filling for me. I really like when you guys talk about how much protein dairy can have in it. And it's a great option for those in the fitness realm as well. Yeah. yeah. I, I also like re even recently heard like someone I know said that their doctor was trying to push, you know, going vegan onto them. And I, I kind of was like just shocked because if people of, you know, people really look up to these people, 
um, that are, that have obviously all this schooling and information. They're like, Oh, I'm definitely going to believe them. You know, if they're telling me I should be going vegan, but they're not coming to the people that actually have all the knowledge, um, as like being on a farm. Yeah, there's, there's that. And, you know, obviously in the fitness realm, for sure, I think it's, I think it's super, it's super important and it's super relevant, but there's, there's also a lot of children, obviously in New York. And again, like that New York city upstate connection, like those New York city school children, right. There's, I, I don't know what is like 800,000 of them or something more. It's, it's, it's a lot of them. And I think it's just like, it's important that we advocate for kids who might not have those options all the time, right? Like, I feel like we're all really lucky when the, when we get the opportunity to have milk, to have yogurt, to have cottage cheese, because it fills in a lot of gaps. It's not everything is a pleasure to eat and drink. And I think beef and dairy are both of those things. So if you have the opportunity to have it, like, why why wouldn't you? <laughs> it's just kind of as a dietitian, it seems like a no brainer. And especially with all these other options now of lactose free, um, it, no one really needs to live without dairy anymore, which I think is, which I think is amazing. Aaron, why do you think it's important from, from the beef side and like, how can the nutrition industry better advocate for you all here in New York? For so many of the reasons that you just mentioned, I mean, beef is such a nutrient dense product. It's got zinc, iron, protein, it's got uh, essential vitamins and minerals. Um, same thing, more protein, less calories. Like the list just goes on and on. Um, beef can definitely be part of a heart healthy diet with all of the lean cuts that are available. Um, so I just think that just continuing to, for folks like you as a dietitian to push those benefits, yeah, for sure. And I will say for both dairy products and beef, I, I think everyone knows that we're, we're in, we're in like a fruit and vegetable consumption crisis in this country. Like no one is eating the recommended number of servings of fruit and vegetables every day, but it's so much easier when we're talking about keeping beef and dairy on the plate to increase consumption of those things, because there are natural pairings. Like you can have a yogurt and put fruit on top of it. You can enjoy cheese as, por as part of a board with grapes and apples. I mean, the list, just, the list just kind of goes on. And of course, the latest dietary guidelines actually show that when we're pairing, you know, when we're pairing things that contain beef, it's a lot easier to add on different vegetables. So you're not just raising these amazing nutrient dense foods that are great on their own, but they really have the potential to positively impact the health of everyone from many different angles. So I want to say thank you to you all <laughs> for bringing all that to our plates. Where can we all find you on social media? So we are NY Farm Girls on everything. Um, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube. Yep. Um, we just started getting back into the YouTube game. Pretty good. Yep. So <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah. So it's the same across everything on that. Yep. And and what's I have to ask now? What's your preference, Instagram or TikTok at this point? TikTok. TikTok's way more fun. You can reach way more people. Okay. It's a lot more fun. Yeah, I agree. 
Okay, I hope all of our producers heard that. It's time to it's time to get on TikTok. Erin, where can we find you? We are on Facebook and Instagram. I've got a private TikTok account that I share the videos from um, uh, at Easton Station Farms. Amazing. Ladies, again, I want to say thank you for bantering with us. And to all of our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode of Beef Banter, please tune in to the next one. Thanks so much. This podcast is funded by the Beef Checkoff. The Beef Checkoff program was established as part of the 1985 Farm Bill. The Beef Checkoff assesses $1 per head on the sale of live, domestic, and imported cattle, in addition to a comparable assessment on imported beef and beef products. States retain up to 50 cents on the dollar and forward the other 50 cents per head to the Cattlemen's Beef Promotion and Research Board, which administers the National Beef Checkoff Program subject to USDA approval. Consumer-focused and producer-directed, CBB and its state Beef Council partners are the marketing organization for the largest segment of the food and fiber industry.